just came to my mind. I think I might go to the open mic and do my imitation of a duck. Did they ever show you my imitation of a duck? Do you want to see it? <laughs> okay, there it is. If you're new to Calvary, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, why don't you stand, Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to read just a, about six verses. We're going to go through that chapter. And then we're going to do a short uh, responsive reading in Psalm 67. So Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And then in verse uh, 29, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And then jump to chapter, uh, verse 35. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Responsive reading in Psalm 67, short little psalm. I'll read the first in odd verses if you would join together in reading the second in even verses. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God shall bless us. And all of the ends of the earth shall fear him. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We are thankful that you are a good, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, and kind. We are so grateful for that. And as we have your word before us this morning, I ask, Lord, the things I prepared, that you break them fresh and feed us. We're hungry. Holy Spirit, come, like we just sang. Come, may we know your presence here through your word. And receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. We know that faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. We understand that your word is a light and a lamp. And so many things that we have right before us this morning that you will speak to us. So please bless this time in the word I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're looking at this little series on blueprints for worship. Have a willing and wise heart. Flee idolatry. Find grace. And this morning we want to talk about the ministry of of the Spirit. And here's a simple outline of this chapter. Moses went up Mount Sinai. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Moses went in before the Lord. Pretty simple. Amen. So Moses went up Mount Sinai. Moses went up with no other. God said to him, no man shall come up with you. Moses came down from Mount Sinai, but he came down like no other. His face shone, having been in the presence of God. And then Moses went in before the Lord. He went in with unveiled face to speak with God. 
So Moses went up Mount Sinai with no other. God told him that. So Moses had asked God in chapter 33, verse 18, and I hope as we're doing this, you'll be following along in your tablet, your, your Bible. Verse 18 of chapter 33, and he said, please show me your glory. God said to Moses, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, which is my after effects, or you might say afterglow, but my face shall not be seen. So then God begins to instruct Moses before this happens. Verse 34, chapter 34, he said, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. I'm going to write on them. So Moses, it says, he said, be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself. No man shall come up with you. Let no man be seen even. Let not flocks, herds be seen there. So he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets. So he's holding these tablets, precious, I know, in the, in the eyes of Moses himself. He had already had them one time. This is second time. Verse 5. So now this is the, what God said I'm going to do for you. He said, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Incredible. This glorious event is taking place for Moses. And proclaim the name of the Lord. That's who God is in nature, character, and action. And the Lord passed before and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. He's proclaiming that to you. Long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This is who he is. Keeping mercy for thousands, but not all. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. No repentance, no mercy, no grace. So Moses made haste, which we all would also. He made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Go among us. Even though, God said this about them, we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Moses had been interceding. God said, I'm going to show you my glory. And now he's re-upping, renewing the covenant. So verse 10 says here, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. All the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For an, an awesome thing I will do with you, Moses. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now, in John chapter 1, many of you have heard this and know it well. We read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus, God. 
And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, crying out, saying, This is he of whom I said, John the Baptist, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Even though Jesus was born six months later than John. And of his fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son, who is the heart in the bosom of the Father, he's the heart of God. He has declared him. That means he's explained him. He's given us the interpretation. Being the nature, the very nature of God, which could not be perceived except it's revealed. Moses, uh, Jesus is that revelation to us of the heart of God. When Moses received the law, it was a glorious event. Had so much glory surrounding it. But as we're going to see here, as Paul uh, talks about this chapter, it was fading. It was a fading glory to be overcome by the glory of God himself through the new covenant, drawing us to himself. So God reiterates now what he had given Moses earlier in Exodus. He said, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. So God emphasized this to Moses over and over. Take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourself. Lest you get derailed and start, and we talked about this, flee idolatry. So as he begins in chapter 34, verse 12, take heed to yourself, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break down, break their sacred pillars, have nothing to do with them, destroy them, get them out. And cut down their wooden images, for, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord God whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make it in covenant again with, he says to me, lest you make it covenant with the inhabitants. Lest you start living in the world and for the world. Following after other gods that become more important than the God who saved us. Than the Lord God himself. So he says, you shall make no molded gods for yourselves. Verse 17, flee idolatry. Then he says, keep the celebration feasts. There were three of them that were to keep three times a year. The feast of unleavened bread following Passover. The feast of weeks, seven weeks after Passover, which is Pentecost, which we're talking about in the book of Acts. And then the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. Now look at verse 23. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So in other words, God's saying to them, you're to go up and, and celebrate these feasts three times a year and I'll house it for you. I'll take care of your house. Don't worry about that. You do what I'm telling you. Because God gave them these feasts, as well as the Sabbath, and many things, to remind them, this is what you, can, you have to do to keep your heart in a place where God can bless you. Keep yourself remembering. We have communion. We celebrate that. Baptism. If you haven't been baptized, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And these things are means by which God is telling us, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in that place where God can bless you as he wants to bless you. And so these feasts, now there's this, this really perplexing statement that I want to hit just briefly. Maybe you've read it, maybe you have, it's mentioned three times. Here, Exodus 23, 19 and Deuteronomy 14, 21, it says this. In 26b, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. How many have heard of that? Have heard that? So what is that supposed to mean? Well, <laughs> I don't know, but I'll give it a stab, okay? There was a case, well, actually, this is from a guy named J. Webb Mealy, referenced in SeekingScripture.com. I read this, and I thought, okay, this is, this is a good synopsis. Three theories, he says. Number one, there was a Canaanite ritual that did this, therefore it was demonic. Don't do it. Don't follow those other gods. Second theory, to boil a child in its very life source, its mother's milk, is cruel and inhumane. Don't do it. Picture of that. But here's the one that I read and I thought, that makes the most sense. That is a common idiom of that time that everyone understood the meaning of. So it's an idiom. Three times, so quote from this, what I read. The secret to solving the puzzle is context. In all three places where this sentence is mentioned in the Bible, it seems to be very disjointed, just coming at us abruptly and seemingly out of nowhere. That is because it, the idiom, had no context related to it. The scripture context is offering your first fruits, not your leftovers, not food from last year, but your first fruits. Do not combine the old with new or one generation of produce with the next, but the first fruits. So that's just one thing. If you want more, email me. I'll leave it for your research. Verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. He's renewing the covenant. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He, this is the second time. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant. What is that? The Ten Commandments. So God, in mercy and grace, is renewing the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses came down from Mount Sinai, verse 29. Now Moses came down like no other. His face is shining, and he doesn't even know it. So we read, it was so, and Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in, in Moses. Now, this is mentioned every time. He has the tablets. He's holding on to those. When he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. This is not a sunburn. This is what I would call a Shekinah afterglow. Moses had been in the presence of God. This reflection of the glory, somehow, that actually penetrated his skin. So he did not know. It's like, here's what I look at. It's like, you know, when you're talking to someone and they, they're not looking in the eye, but they're looking like here or here. And you got something in your teeth, you know. Do I have something on my face? And then, yeah, it's right there. And then, you know, that's what I think. Moses' face is shy. He doesn't even know it. Been there 40 days and 40 nights with God. So the, the Mount of Transfiguration was another event that had this outshining. And the Mount of Transfiguration, it's the outshining of the glory of his incarnation. It's not something that's just reflected or sort of so, it's who he is, Jesus. 
Matthew 17, 2, he was transfigured before them. That means to transform or to change in form, a change where the inmost nature becomes outwardly visible. Transformation. It's metamorphosis. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. You know what Peter, James, and John said? Hey, let's build three tabernacles right here. Let's just stay right here. Of course, they went down the mountain. Then you have the outshining of his glory in his exaltation in Revelation. So we read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, John said, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace. And his voice is a sound of many waters. This is glory. God, Jesus in glory. Jesus exalted. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And here it is. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, you can only imagine, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. The glory outshining, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, this glorious event. And he falls on his feet, and Jesus said, laid his right hand and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the Alpha and the beginning, and I was him who is dead and is alive again. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So in Exodus, get back to 34, verse 30. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So no kid, right? It's like they're, they're kind of backing up at, in seeing Moses. And so Moses called to them. And Aaron and all of the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. So first to the leaders. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments, not suggestions, commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. Now, the first time he came down, his face was red hot with anger, and he threw the tablets down and, and smashed them. Second time, his face is shining, but here with the glory of God, and he begins to tell them what God told him on the mountain. And when Moses had finished, and by the way, he had a captive audience, I'm sure, as his face shone there. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Now, it says, Moses went in before the Lord, verse 34. He said, with an he, now he's going to speak with God. Now, we'll get this in a moment, but we have access by faith, by grace through faith, to talk to God at any time and any place. Is that not glorious or what? This is an event of glory with one man alone with God. One person who came down and he was, he was, he was different. We have access by grace through faith, this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had, he had been commanded. 
And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again, and he went in to speak with him. I want to read Paul the Apostle's commentary on this passage from 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. The situation in Corinth is this. Some Jewish factions were saying that Paul was not a true apostle because he did not have letters of commendation from the church in Jerusalem. So where are your credentials? And they were always, there were those that were always opposing Paul's apostleship, Paul as, as the one that God called. So some of the teachers had arrived in Corinth with the credentials. Paul didn't have those. And so, let me pause a minute. Moses went up Mount Sinai. He went up with no other. No man shall come. One man alone. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. And Moses came down like no other. His face was shining. Then Moses went in before the Lord with unveiled face to speak with God. The application I want to put to this as we go to 2 Corinthians is this. Jesus came down like no other. His incarnation and the glory of God in the incarnation of his son, grace and truth. Jesus went up with no other. His ascension and exaltation in glory is what happened. He, the, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Jesus was accepted, his righteousness, dying for the sin of the world, and then accept. He's the only righteousness God received. It's the righteousness of Christ. None of us could ascend with him without the cross, without his ascension. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit came down to dwell in us and minister to us the things of God. Is that not incredible? And that's what I hope we re-up this morning, to understand that the Holy Spirit came down to dwell in us and make us more like Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to transform us in the image of God. You can't do that yourself. I can't do that for you, nor vice versa. No one, only the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer is the hope of glory for each and every one of us. And that has been given to us who believe in Christ, born again by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. So how does that happen? It is not through the old covenant, but the new. It is not by the law that came through Moses, but grace and truth which came through Jesus. That's the gospel. That's good news. So how? It's by the ministry of the Spirit. So 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to put it up here and we're just going to read and I'll comment a little bit. But I just want you to gather in now the word of God as Paul tells us this is the ministry of the Spirit. Do we again begin to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? 
or letters of commendation from you. You are our epistle written in in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. The ministry, first of all, is in your heart. That's pretty close. That's pretty intimate. Paul's saying to them, see, the old covenant is written on tables, tablets of stone, the law. The new covenant is written on the tablets of flesh. That is on our hearts by the Spirit. You didn't work to receive that. You believed. And you walk in that, in that faith in Christ. The law spells out God's perfect standard. But that was all it could do. That was all it was purposed to do. The law gives the knowledge of sin. The law says the sinner is separated by, from God. The law says we have a heart problem. The heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately who can know it. Jesus said this. He said, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach. So I say, have a McDonald's. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and it's eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. It's a heart problem. For from within, out of the heart of man, men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile man. The problem is the heart that's fallen in sin. We've got to keep that understanding clear. The problem is our hearts. The solution is the cross. The manifestation, the instruction is the law. Shows us these things. The law, the law points out the problem but gives no means by which to solve it. Except that in the covenant, the sacrificial system and the priesthood is there inaugurated. The law written on stone and held in a man's hand could never change the man. It's the Spirit of God that changes our hearts. I love what Chuck Colson from Prison Fellowship said, quote, steel bars cannot change a man's heart. Lock them up. And that's often a testimony. When they go to prison, something changed their mind. They lock them up, but nothing changes here. Now, the early church acknowledged this problem. The Jews, the council in Acts 15. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? The law, circumcision. Why are you doing that? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So, first of all, it's the ministry in your heart. Another thing Paul brings out, it's the ministry of the new covenant, which we're hitting all the way through. It's life-giving. And we have such such trust through Christ toward God. 
Not that we are sufficient ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The old covenant brings death through the law. The new covenant gives life through the spirit. It's the ministry of the new covenant. Paul is in essence saying, look at your changed lives. I didn't do that. You believe the gospel. I ministered the truth. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin, rising to judgment, and you believed and you were saved. And now your life is changed, not because of anything I did except tell you where to find help. The law didn't do that. And you know, it's like you say, the law didn't do that. And you know that. The gospel is what did that. And you know that. Do you know that, dear brother and sister in the Lord? When you came to Christ, something happened of dramatic proportion. Something changed inside, and there's no turning back. My friends used to say with me, whenever Kevin gets into things, he's 150, he's overboard. He just is in. So he'll, when they found out I came back to Christ, they, oh, he'll get over it. It's been 50, almost 50 years. I'm not over it yet. There's no turning back. Lord, who am I going to go to? And you know the amen of that. When you believe something changed and the ministry of the new covenant took over. Like this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Your life, your changed life. That's the gospel. That's the testimony. So it is the new covenant that answers the heart problem. This is such a glorious thing, prophetically, and then come to pass. In Jeremiah, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In Ezekiel again, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, this is the same Israel that gave God all kinds of problems. The same Israel that God said, you know what, Moses, let's wipe them out. I'll start again. He's renewing the covenant. And it's this ministry of the new covenant that this is prophetically looking at. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And the author of Hebrews quotes this as being the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. And I'll write them. Let me ask you, dear brother and sister in Christ, is that true for you? All of a sudden, the word of God becomes this transcendent, important thing in your life. The truth in your life. The laws of God. Wanting to please God. It's all just there because now you're a new creation in Christ. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of the new covenant to your heart. Day in and day out. In all that you go through and all that I go through. Here's this new covenant where he's writing on my heart. It's a work in my heart that the Holy Spirit is doing. There, and he says, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Praise God for his forgiveness. 
Praise God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that convicts us and draws us so we might get it right with God. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for it. In other words, it's settled through Christ. Through Christ. This new covenant gospel changes lives, listen, from the inside out. From the inside out. This ministry is the ministry of righteousness, Paul goes on to say. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Oh, this is a glorious event, giving the law, important event. God gave, surrounded it with his glory. Moses is his man. But it was a ministry of death. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. What is the ministry of righteousness? It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that righteousness has been imputed to you by believing in Christ. You've been imputed the righteousness of God where now you are accepted by him. The old covenant is the ministry of condemnation and death. The new covenant is the ministry of righteousness. Now, Israel was a very special people. God did awesome and glorious things through them, through Moses and them. He gave, he gave him the law and entering the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Glorious thing. You see, Israel became self-righteous. And they missed it. They're missing the whole nature and purpose of the law. And Paul addresses this many times, but we'll go to Romans for a moment. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to us? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceed. In other words, God gave the law to Moses, this glorious thing, holy, just, right, he said, look in the mirror, and what do you see? And when you look in the mirror, you realize, I'm a sinner. You realize these, what God's saying to me is there's a heart problem. So Israel became self-righteous. Galatians, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks God. There's no, they all turned away from the Lord. That's, the, that's what sin did. In you and me. But now God says the righteousness of God is imputed to you because of what Jesus did on the cross in dying for our sins. Buried, rose again for our justification, ascended into heaven, and there exalted, and he's waiting for us to arrive to glorify him. Israel became ignorant of God's righteousness. Paul addresses this in Romans. And his heart... This was a deep grief to Paul 
because he came to know the righteousness of God through faith. He came to know his own, own unright, even though he had all the diplomas, all the trophies, all the accolades of this wonderful, holy man of God who missed it completely and was killing Christians and hating Jesus. That's who God stopped on that road to Damascus. He said, brother, my heart and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. They may be saved. That's the issue in the righteousness, self-right versus God's righteousness. It's our salvation. For I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law to pay the price for sin on the cross for us. And God, that his perfect sacrifice was complete. And he is the, the, uh, the firstborn among many brothers. He's the one that leads the way. If there's no risen Christ, we have no hope. But now is Christ risen? And we got to say... The righteousness of God is my standing before God. He imputed to me by my faith in what Jesus accomplished for me. God provided the whole thing. Say, now if you will believe, you will be saved. If you'll confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you will be saved. If with your mouth you make the, you will be saved. It's not complicated, but it's not cheap. Israel rejected the only one who could save them. The righteous one. In fact, they hated him for his righteousness. They hated him for telling the truth. They hated him when he challenged them as hypocrites. But that's the truth that he was, he was speaking. And Jesus' words to these hypocritical religious leaders were always very intense. Because they were deceiving the people. Thinking that they're the ones that are the holy ones. They're the ones. And God said, hold on a second. Jesus comes, hold on a second. He goes into the temple. And he starts, makes a whip and starts driving out those who are, who are making merchandise of God's people. Driving them out. Say, out of here. Who are making it hard for people to get to go and find God. Talk to God. Minister to God. Worship God. Says, you're out of here. Twice. See, it's the ministry also of such hope. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. In other words, the law came through Moses. It was conditional, a conditional covenant based on their obedience. Now, that did anything but assure them of their acceptance before God. In fact, God said to Moses, let me wipe them out. It's not something Moses proclaimed boldly. Hey! He realized something's going on here. Something so holy and righteous. The law came through Moses, included sacrifices, God's provision. All those animal sacrifices could not take away sin. All those sacrifices were a continuing reminder of their sinfulness. There they go to the temple again. There they go to the tabernacle again. You see, the whole of the law, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, the feast, the Sabbath, all of it pointed to a coming fulfillment in the Savior. And thus, the ministry of such hope is not based on those things. 
based on the one that those things are just a shadow. That's it. If Jesus never came, those things remain a shadow, unable. It's incredible. <laughs> you stop for a moment and just think that God would go through such millenniums of communicating and communicating and then bringing his son into the world at the right time and saying, here's what I've been saying all the way along. Right from man's falling in the garden. Galatians says, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be, full, that might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In other words, we've arrived at God's provision. And so he says, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Israel would not turn to the one who could save them, who came to save them. They wouldn't turn. They wouldn't turn. The ministry also is of glory to glory. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is boldness. There is confidence. There is assurance. But we all, <laughs> with unveiled faces, in the context of Exodus, what was going on with Moses, we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, you may look at your life and think, really? Yeah, really. It's a process. It's lifelong. The more I walk with the Lord, and you know this well, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize how much work still left has to be done. But he is faithful who began the work to complete it. That's my trust. That's my confidence. So this ministry of glory, it transforms us to be like Jesus. So in chapter 4 then he says, here's the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to just take these things in again as Paul is just writing as it would be the letter to us this morning. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. God does not give us what we deserve. God is merciful over and over and over again. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of glory. You see, the ministry of glory, here, just simply this, be the real deal with God. No fooling around, no messing around with his word. Be the real deal with God. That's the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of the gospel. But if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest they should, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Same sort of picture as in Exodus. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the God of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, be the real deal with God, but also remember, we are in a battle. And it's a battle for the minds of people. What is God's solution? Preach the gospel to every creature. Preach it. Might be foolish, but preach it because that's God's means. That's God's, quote, foolishness in how he breaks open a person's heart, how he breaks into the darkness of a person's life. But if our gospel is veiled, Paul recognizes that this adversary called the devil, the God of this age, is blinding people's minds. So I've told, said before, I'll say it again this morning. My prayer often is, Lord, just, they've got, there's something that's in there. I know that. They've heard it. My own children. They, it's there. I say, Lord, would you just, in the, all the darkness, would you just let a little sliver of light shine out for a moment and grab their attention for a moment? And then they start thinking. It's like the prodigal son. He comes to his senses. He's, he's sort of ended, the riotous living has ended in an empty home in a pigsty. And God, in his heart, is working. And God's working in the hearts of those who may seem like the hardest person in your family. Because there's a God of this age who's blinding their minds. Who's, the battle is for the mind. So stay at it. Pray for them. Stay at it in praying for God. Take those truths. I don't know how all that works. I really don't. But I know that prayer is a deciding factor many times. But we, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Take that. Not of us. None of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working us, but life in you. I'd say this, treasure the treasure. That's Jesus. All for his sake. Treasure the treasure. And then, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. There is a resurrection coming. There really is. Some of us are sitting here going, yeah, I wish it would happen like now. Can we be done with this whole thing? <laughs> we groan earnestly designed to be delivered, be delivered. That we receive our new glorified body, whatever that's going to look like. For all things are for your sakes, but that grace having, having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound. Here it is, to the glory of God. And then finally, these final verses. Therefore, Listen, we do not lose heart. We have this ministry of the Spirit. It's the ministry in your heart. It's the ministry of the gospel. It's the ministry of hope. It's the ministry of righteousness. 
all ours because we put our faith in what God promised us through the gospel to receive. And when we were born again by the Spirit, we are filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in us this incredible work of transforming us in the image of Jesus Christ. He says, our light affliction, but for a moment, is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen, listen, are eternal. They're eternal. When we get into eternity, I'm not sure how that, all that works. But when I hear eternal, that means there's no time. No clocks to check. No calendars to figure out. It's just this realm of life. It's promised to us when this short, fleeting life is over. I close. Famous hymn was inspired by the glowing countenance of a man who seemed to live continually in the awareness of the glories, the awareness of the goodness of God. Can I have the worship team come up? A Christian, this man was a Christian, reflected a radiance of the joy and peace and love of God in his life. And so here goes the song. Maybe you meant something or I didn't know it. It's old but I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> when all my labors and trials are o'er and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of his infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place, just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. This is perspective. Friends will be there I have loved, lo I have Loved long ago, joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look in his face, that will be glory for me. Amen. Would you stand? Let's close in song and I'll come up and...